Escape from Plan A. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. Uh, this is your host, Teen. Uh, I guess before we start the episode, just uh, quick housekeeping. Um, we've uh, obviously really appreciate and have been um, really grateful for all of our patrons. Um, again, we're 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 really building towards our goal of um, you know funding this Asian American Writers Fund. Uh, you know, we don't value we. I mean, we love free work, but we don't valorize it. We want to pay people for uh, next level writing. So please visit us at Patreon.com/PlanAMag. Uh, okay, so for uh, this episode, um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a movie that just came out on Netflix a few weeks ago. Uh, I think I'm sure everyone has heard of it, called uh, "Always Be My Maybe," a romantic comedy starring Ali Wong and Randall Park. Um, to discuss, I've got uh, Jess. Jess, how's it going? Hey, what's up, everyone? Hey, and uh, T. Trevor, how's it going, man? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Can't complain. Can't complain. Uh, just sorting out a little bit of technical difficulties, but I think I'm here now, and I'm, as usual, happy to be joining you guys. Yeah. Um, just a reminder, I mean, Trevor's been on the podcast before. Um, you, uh, he runs the Champagne Sharks podcast, which is one of our favorites. Uh, we learn a ton and, um, and uh, you know, really encourage everyone to go uh, subscribe and, and check out what's going on over there. You know, I think, you know, I, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, it, you know, I, I think that the craft was good, the acting was good, the, the writing was pretty good. I mean, it was a solid all-around movie and enjoyable enough. It's not, you know, really that aspect of the movie that I wanted to discuss. Um, but now that we have, like, two major Asian-American romantic, you know, uh, romantic comedies out now, Crazy Rich Asians and this movie, and they're sort of coming from that same fresh-off-the-boat complex. Ali Wong is a writer on Fresh Off the Boat, Constance Wu, you know, uh, and Randall Park, uh, you know, are both leads on that show. Um, I think it's time to start talking about romantic comedies themselves, uh, the genre itself, and sort of like the limitations of the genre, and some of the problems that come up, I don't think that can be necessarily solved through better writing or better acting, but an examination of, of the genre itself, um, if that makes sense. And uh, one thing I had, just to tee up the discussion, um, one thing I noticed uh, was that the movie, in a way, is uh, always be my maybe, is narratively very similar to another movie that came out, um, I think, last year, uh, which was Lee Chang Dong's Burning. It's a Korean movie, uh, though it does star an Asian American actor, Steven Yun. Um, narratively, they're very similar. They both center around what you might call a social loser. Uh, and that, let's just call him loser for, for lack of a better word, um, sort of lives uh, with their father uh, and is sort of in this life where they're, they're kind of slowly in danger of, of turning into the father. Um, both of the losers, Jung Su in the case of Burning and uh, Marcus in case of uh, Always Be My Maybe, are both conspicuously contemptuous of modernity and wealth. Uh, the similarities don't stop there. Uh, in both cases, the mother is missing from their lives. 
And the plot officially begins when a woman from their past suddenly reappears through sort of a pure chance, a pure chance meeting. Um, the loser, Zhang Su and uh, Marcus, they both develop a romantic interest in the woman, which is requited in part, but then a superior suitor arrives, Stephen Yun in the case of Burning and uh, Keanu Reeves in the case of Always Be My Maybe. Um, there's the loser enacts violence on the suitor, uh, and that act ultimately opens the door to a sort of ultimate resolution or redemption. Um, and so I guess I just wanted to tee up uh, that because I feel like Burning is not a romantic comedy by any stretch. It, it's more of art house cinema. It's, it's sort of genreless, and I think in many ways is a very different movie. So I had sort of sent, um, I, what this, you know, the minute I sort of realized this, I sort of sent out uh, an email to you, Trevor, because we had potted um, on your podcast a while ago about burning itself. And there were just, uh, you know, I just wanted to get um, a, a conversation started with you about is there something that we can gain from, com from sort of comparing and contrasting the two movies? Um, one thing that I found pretty uh, good was your connection between the two because when you first said it I'm like yeah I guess I could see it and then when you laid out like element by element I was like wow that totally flew over my head that uh, so many of the things were the same between the uh, abandonment by the mother like one by choice one by you know death but it still registers as abandonment the father issues the um, checking out of life and progress and I thought it was a pretty good pretty good connection to make i was uh impressed with it but the Jungian aspect works um pretty well also and it just seems kind of weird with um almost be my maybe because there's a sense in which all of this is true but uh there's a surface silliness to um always be my maybe that i think um kind of causes a confusion in other aspects of the movie because it feels like it's also trying to make some deeper points occasionally and I don't think the structure of the rom-com really supports it well this is something that we talked about before where it's like um I don't want to say there's an activist streak to the movie because that's giving it too much credit but there is a certain consciousness of feeling other otherized or a significance to um asianness that is kind of given a short shrift to the point where i i think i was even saying it would have almost been better to just not mention it much at all like i think you brought up that there's this kind of slight tip of the hat to the idea of gentrification and that uh even the chinatown is dying in san francisco but it's not really discussed or it's just kind of like an afterthought. It's not really um, contextualized in any way. It, I don't think they even use the word gentrification. Just kind of give a quick talk about, I want to stay where at the favorite restaurants where I ate and things are changing. Do, do you remember the extent to which they kind of discussed gentrification? I think so. like the thing about gentrification, you know, the, you know, Marcus showing, um, what was her name? Sasha. Yeah. Sasha around to all these little restaurants and then making, you know, comments about how things have changed. Um, as it pertains to being Asian American, I think it reflects um, this embedded ambivalence about uh, about your home, 
your home, your your maybe your your entire ethnic heritage, maybe the actual physical location where you grew up, um, and carried that childhood trauma on with you, and the the distancing. Like the movie already already kind of makes a statement uh, before um, before you see them as adult the the two leads as adults. Um, that this is the driving force, right? The movie opens, I mean, the movie opens with them as kids, but I'm talking about that break between them as children and then coming back, and then when it, coming back into the movie as when they're adults. Um, you already have to assume under and understand why it is that Sasha left her metaphorical and physical community and apparently did not return for close, to, you know, for like 16 years or something. I feel like that's actually kind of a narrative hole, right? You, and you don't want to point that out because this is something that an Asian American, and maybe that's it's extendable to other groups. I'm not so sure, and I won't speak on their behalf. But it is something that that we instinctively will pick up on that there is this push, that this there's pull uh, you feel uh, away from your home and who who you are as a racialized being. Um, it manifests differently on men and women, but that pull is still understood. And you can't really, it's not really a thing you point out, it's just a thing you know. I, I, was, thinking of, I was thinking of gentrification, and to the extent to which it was mentioned, it almost felt like, you know, global warming. And what I mean by that is, like, uh, almost like a natural occurrence. Like, Chinatown is just shrinking, not something is acting on it or encroaching on it. There's never a sense that whiteness is really acting on anything so to the extent that there is a gentrification and chinatown is shrinking or authenticity is being lost it's just kind of uh almost like a passive or being lost on its own not something that people are actively trying to um erase i mean even the idea of the um the food not being authentic there's not really a sense that white people are driving her to make inauthentic food because their taste, their demands, the way they invest, uh, reward you for um, whitewashing your food. It's more like she's just volunteering to do it and then give it to them. There's, there's not a real sense that whiteness acts on anything in uh, the movies, what I felt. Well, there's a little bit of like restorative justice, kind of wink, n- wink, wink, nudge, nudges, like... Every time there's a white guy on screen, he's quaking in his shoes that Sasha looked at him, right? Like the, like the, they're like the sous chefs um, that she bosses around and, and terrorizes. And I mean, it's so funny those two, uh, those two white guys. You like the camera takes a little extra care to show that they're like terrified of her. Um, I thought that was a, a yeah. Hilarious I forgot little... about that, but you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really the only uh, significant moment where it's one of the when they're not, you know, just background, you know, space filler, right, for a random scene. So I thought, I mean, so I I get that. I get that critique, you know, like it's it is a very kind of fish bubble, uh, sorry, like fishbowl kind of idealized fantasy world. Um, But I mean, we're talking about a rom-com here. Right, so this is a fantasy. This is a fantasy of you know, uh, an an Asian woman, let's say, and and I as a woman picked up on this. You know, you're supposed to be like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, sister, yeah, you stick it to that dude, yeah, you make him cry in a walk-in freezer or something, right? Like, you're, this is the fantasy. This is the world that we wish we lived in, 
which kind of makes the regressive, the fundamental regressiveness of the genre kind of upsetting to see, because then we're, we're saying, oh, fuck, I'd really love to step into that world and live that kind of life. But there are still some very upsetting, like, social rules that are being reinforced as a result, just by by fact of it being a rom-com. I think it's also different, and this is something that we were um, talking about, and I didn't want to take this point away from um, Teen, because this is Teen's insight, not mine. Like, like I mentioned something, and then Teen uh, compared it to um, a movie, and it really crystallized it for me. But, like, I think one of the problems with this movie is that it... Um, wants to kind of have its cake too and which is it wants to be distinctly asian but it also wants to be kind of colorblind and it kind of ends up doing it in like confusing ways because i feel like it's very different for a white guy to accept holding the purse like if you have a george clooney or brad pitt or one of those um icons of western masculinity holding a purse it's almost like their power level or their uh, social capital allows them to do it and almost gain more social capital for it because it's kind of like okay if you're yeah uh, a big mm-hmm. strong guy and you ch- and you choose not to fight it looks different than if you're a scrawny guy in the eyes of people and then you choose not to fight because the first guy they're knowing that he's doing it by choice from a place of power and i feel like when you have um in terms of representation like white guys have so much representation as being the uh, bastions of masculinity or the arbiters of masculinity it has a whole different context when they volunteer in a rom-com to hold a purse than an asian guy in the first or at least the most high profile to date uh asian american rom-com you're coming out the gate with that you haven't kind of built the um you haven't built the strength that allows the weakness to look yeah 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 to to make it look like a virtue and i and i felt like acting like it has the same effect as it does when a white guy does it was kind of um um disingenuous act like it was it was the same and i feel like it's okay to bring that up but i feel like in woke circles you're not supposed to you're supposed to act like um gender issues in every community are the same and you know they kind of they kind of aren't yeah to that point um i think maybe one way to frame it is asking the question of like you know is is um is the question of you know asian american masculinity which is front and center to this movie you know in in the character of marcus and i think he's a he's an excellent he's an excellently rendered character to which i think asian american men can readily um, identify with. I think he reminds me of friends that I know. He, he, he reminds me of people like I just know, you know. And it's an examination of masculinity, but I think you're right. I, I, you know, the how serious are you taking is this, is this movie actually examining that masculinity versus wrapping it in a sort of fantasy world in which what presents as perhaps a problem in the real world is sort of uh, is sort of rewrapped in a fantasy story to be an ideal masculinity. Well, and well, here's 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 a problem that I I think uh, happens in these conversations is that I feel like there's this idea if you just admit that there can be such a valid thing as um, uh, 
black masculinity representation problem or an Asian masculinity representation problem, just saying that automatically puts you in MR Asian or Hotep uh, category. That, that there's mm. no that because there's no I think with white men because of all the um, problems that white masculinity has kind of created in the world there's this kind of idea that if you're uh, a white guy complaining that white men are persecuted you get laughed out the room right away because people are kind of like oh god fuck you you know and mm-hmm. then there's this kind of thing where people then put minorities in the same box so now if a if an Asian guy complains hey you know I don't really like uh the way that we're constantly emasculated in uh, in movies, or a black guy goes, "Hey, I, I think this whole toxic masculinity thing is, um, you know, very bad to the black image." You're kind of lumped into the same category as the white guy complaining about masculinity, and I think that is a very unfair context, and I think that's kind of one of the problems yeah, with why totally. why you're not allowed to s- say, "Hey." I think Marcus being emasculated is kind of a bad look for Asians. A lot of people automatically would say, oh my God, so you're saying you're MR Asian? I think that's kind of what would happen. It's- yeah, and I think that's why this particular movie is so interesting because, uh, okay, if, if I were to say that, look, I don't, you know, uh, I, I wish that there was a deeper exploration of, the, of, the, of this issue of masculinity, Asian American masculinity, uh, and, the, and the criticism came up, it was like, oh, well, so you don't like him holding a purse. I would say, well, you know, we're, it's really quite fortunate in this case because we actually do have a movie uh, that's very similar, but that explores deeper this 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 the the construction of masculinity at a at, at a very deep psychological level. And you and I, uh, Trevor, had done um, a pod on on Champagne Sharks about Burning, which is not a movie that I understood coming out of the theater very well, though I I thought it was really interesting. But you had laid out sort of um, all of the sort of Jung, Jungian, as in Carl Jung, yeah, Jungian analysis, yeah, and that it was such a similar movie. Like you know, we we you know, I went through the all the plot points and in, in how they're similar, but it tackled, I think, Jong Su's uh, issues as a man living in sort of modern capitalist society in in South Korea, um, in a way that was a lot more. I feel productive and interesting, but I would say that Burning's still a really interesting comparison in this regard because we do get a lot deeper into the the issues that are driving um, these 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 men who I would say take on a sort of marginalized status in modern society and and take on a lot of class resentments and sort of limit themselves and sort of you know. Uh, um, surrender a lot of ground to you know that which they detest and box themselves in and you know i just think like in this case we could easily take that criticism of of anyone who looks at marcus's treatment in that movie and say there's another movie out there that also stars you know an asian american uh actor steven yun that is you know a lot deeper of an exploration i don't know it's does that does well, that make sense at all? Or I feel like it's a more uh, that was a more deep analysis of the psychosexual locus of Jong Su's issues as an adult, and it's very it's very clearly located in uh, the trauma of his mother of losing his mom. 
which is reflected in Always Be My Maybe too. Like not mm -hmm. having these mother figures created some crippling psychological trauma that prevented uh, these two characters from ultimately reaching, you know, uh, psychological adulthood in a, in a meaningful sense. But I think where the difference is in, is in how they resolve these, um, these edible issues. I think one of the problems that happens with, uh, because from knowing you guys, uh, Asian American media has been on my radar more. And one of the things that has really struck me is the kind of weird childishness or vapidity. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? Like, like the state of being vapid, uh, that a lot of the, um, Asian American uh, media representation crowd has is very much like what uh, we on Champagne Sharks call like blavity blacks and stuff. And I think because of that, there's a certain lack of seriousness or a very surface level kind of analysis of things that it makes a um, always be my maybe is not like getting this traction or exposure despite being an unserious rom-com but almost primarily because of it like that type of silliness that type of uh lack of full introspection i think is almost helping it spread and be representative even more and the same thing with um that uh laura jean movie what, what is it called to all to all the boys to all the boys yeah uh, yeah yeah like like why is a ya movie um leading the charge uh why is um a rom-com leading the charge and i think it's because a lot of these uh media asians are kind of like frozen in uh, uh adolescence so it's like a burning which i think uh probably has a lot better deeper exploration of these issues is not even really going to be on the radar i think i don't think a lot of these uh Huffington Post Asian voices types would even really get much of an appeal out of it, you know? Because first of all, they're not in a white space, so they're not penetrating a white space, really. So that alone is, uh, kind of loses them, and and I think it's kind of unfortunate. Like, I would like to see more serious uh, explorations of these things, but I just don't think the people who make these things go viral are really interested in any such thing they wanted to stay at this superficial level i think that invites a, the criticism which is that you know why can't people just have fun right and i think that yeah. my, my response to that would be well I, I i don't have a problem with fun movies of course i think the problem though is that you're right these are leading the charge type movies and they are tackling uh issues that are pretty uh that are worth i think a a fuller and more sociologically oriented analysis versus just simply placing it into these ideal in, into these characters set in ideal space, and the the different like I there, I heard a, a podcast recently um, which I've uh, referred you to in the past. I do I actually do enjoy some of their their um, their discussions, and they were talking about uh, the Forty Year Old Virgin. They revisit a lot of movies. The Forty Year Old Virgin. I think, think it came out in two thousand the two thousand somewhere two thousand five. Let's put it. Uh, I have no idea if that's true, um, but it's around then. And they were saying that they remember loving the movie back then when it came out, but watching it in 2019 again, like rewatching it for, to discuss on the podcast, they were like, it just felt disturbing because the, the, um, the, the, the incel 
phenomenon hung over this movie big time, right? And and it was saying like, you know, what was taken lightly as a sort of romantic comedy or, or farcical comedy back then, there were actually a lot of deep, serious issues of masculinity that were tackled in that movie, that were taken as central themes in that movie, but which just weren't done well. And it's hard to now watch that movie in 2019, seeing as how things developed. And the movie seems almost irresponsible to some at this point. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily buy into yeah, that, that yeah. particular and, and, movie. And, and, but, yeah. and, by being, and by being a comedy, it almost um, makes it uh, a bigger abdication of responsibility because you've made it into something laughable, something that ended up being uh, very, very uh, serious. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would challenge that. Like, the yeah, it's, you know, well, why can't we have fun? Then the question I have is, what makes this fun, right? What made what what struck a chord in you to make this, a, a, you know, a matter of entertainment, right? Uh, it's not like fun isn't just something we're born with. It's not like a it's not like a sense, right? Um, fun is depend. Fun is a pretty highly sophisticated sensibility that we cultivate over immersion in a particular social atmosphere. Like comedy is the highest form of of social communication being able to laugh make a joke subvert and call into question and poke at the collective unconscious that's the power of comedy so i think looking at rom-coms with a critical eyes almost is is very very necessary because it exposes what's in the collective unconscious and it, it kind of gets covered up because these representations uh take on take on a bit of an activist overtone you're supposed to support them as a, as a matter of politics uh, like, and then you're supposed to act like this is a matter of consciousness building, that the, that these pieces of, of media that are put out there collectively add up to some to some uh, emergent identity that unites all of us in this particular in-group. But I think what they actually do is they just expose, they play on the unconscious sensibilities we all have. You're never supposed to say it out loud because that destroys the fantasy. But that's this is the thing that makes it you know quote relatable or fun, right? This is these are actually very very complicated things. Um, so saying why can't we just have fun is a pretty unfair question to to it's a pretty unfair uh, accusation and silencing to level at, at critique of uh, the like any particular uh, piece of work or the genre as a whole. It's never just fun. Uh. I agree with you. I think I could I could almost try to answer why I found this movie fun. Um, again, I enjoyed the movie, um, and why I found it fun was because um, and in thinking about it, I think what happens is I had fun because I related to Marcus as a character. I was like, yes, he is a well rendered uh, Asian dude, and I know this guy, and I think it was fun because. They, like you said, they exposed a lot of the problems of Marcus as a character and then sort of excused a lot of the problems almost flippantly as comedy or as sometimes sickly sweet um, sentimentality. And, you know, as an example of this, I felt that there was an overtly strong Oedipal component, Oedipal, like Oedipus, Oedipal component to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, to this movie. If you think about it... Um, Sasha 
is a woman is is comes into John Sue's life. Uh, sorry, uh, into Marcus's life since they were kids, very young. And the the opening scene is really uh, it's him, uh, Marcus as a child with his loving, doting mother over a pot of uh, kimchi stew, and Sasha, the next door neighbor, the girl next door, literally, um, kind of there at the hearth with the three of them, and that begins sort of like this sort of like trinary relationship that's really sort of entangled with his feelings towards his mother when sort of I guess at this point we we were probably past the spoiler embargo um, the big reveal is that she's basically dedicated her new restaurant uh, entirely not to her parents but to his mother and she's cooking the name I think the restaurant's actually named after her Mm -hmm. and she opens up the pot and you see the same kimchi stew that was there at the beginning. And it's almost as if she's sort of reincarnated as, her, as his mother. And this is celebrated. Uh, and it's as sentimentality. And to me, I'm like, wait, is this really the right resolution for this character to project all of his like needs and uh, 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 that he had, you know, independencies that he had in his mother? Um, which are explicitly pointed out in the movie where even his father is telling him you got to move on get you know i loved your you know uh, you lost uh, i lost my wife you lost your mother but you got to go get your own right and there there seems to be this resolution to say like what these guys need what asian american or or asian american guys or any really marginalized guy i think you can generalize this to guys is to find a woman that will be your mother you know, and I, I felt that that was such an overt <laughs> statement. And I was like, is, are you sure this is a pro-feminist? Like, is this a really thought out kind of thing that, you know, narrative that guys should be valorizing? Um, I, I felt mean, that the I, I thought it was components creepy. were just too strong. It, I like that, that closing scene, you know, the, 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 the kimchi stew bubbling and the two of them smiling at each other. And then the song Always Me My, Be My Baby comes on. Like I, I got creeped yes, out. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That that's um, a huge part. <laughs> the actual name of the song. Yeah. Yeah, like it just cl- like the scene fa- like it fades and then just immediately goes to a song that's literally named "Always Be My Baby," and I I yeah. had no idea how to like well I knew exact I knew how to process it. I just yeah. I didn't like what I was uh, what I was seeing there. Um, and going back to you know. Yeah. Um, the critique of sociological storytelling versus individual that you pointed out earlier, um, that it's rooted in some, you know, progressivist, you know, um, uh, wokeness, right? For Marcus to say, look, this is my home. I don't give a shit how crappy you thought it was. This is, this is my home. This is my identity. But it's also pathologized in this, in the sense that he's there because of some crippling, uh, some crippling psychological underdevelopment caused by the lack of his mother losing his mom um mm, that's a that's a great point so whether they intended it or not they've kind of fused it with his um inability to grow yeah so what is it what is it all, if you take a look back at that then what does it actually mean to be so pro you know home pro asianness pro chinatown pro whatever if the movie's also if it's also making the case that you're only doing that because um you're messed up right and there's that huge class differential that complicates it. Another example that Tina and I um, 
came up with that goes to your point is um, I had noticed that uh, there's an extent to which they kind of want to show that Marcus adds value to her, even if it's not financial. So there are like things that I think are meant to be Marcus's uh, gems of wisdom or Marcus's um, contributions where he gives us uh, something that helps her grow, like like to make it seem reciprocal. Mm-hmm. And his things mm-hmm. are, are, are like in the hotel room, he says like, you know, what you're doing is not authentic. You're doing this for white people and this and that. But because they put it right after, he's acting like a baby because he's, he's making more money or he has to hold the purse or he's being marginalized or he doesn't want to move because he wants to sit around with his band doing subpar gigs. Uh, Did he said that that's supposed to be a good commentary is undermine that he's saying it in a state of uh, reactionary petulance or in a state of like man baby. Like he's not delivering it from the state of like being a man or developing wisdom, but he's saying it in the form of like a boy's tantrum or Mm, interspersed with the boy's tantrum. So, like, that's another way where, just like that um, Chinatown conversation is meant to be maybe a a gem of wisdom or a hint of wisdom, it's kind of ruined because it's tied into his arrested development or his emotional stuntedness. Like, that Mm -hmm. scene, too, is just kind of tied into his uh, male privilege or his uh, petulance. And... It leads to a similarly conflicted message as to what you described. It, it's uh, There's a lot of miscalculations like that in this movie. And my theory is I think part of the problem with this movie, it suffers from a, something that a lot of first-gen and second-gen um, Americans have, which is they're Americanized, but there's also some things from their parents' cultures or whatever that... Uh, they still kind of valorize, even if they don't really realize it. They might think they're totally Americanized, but, you know, they're still a part of them. It might take them, like, years to kind of realize it, but they realize there's some things that maybe white people in America will call regressive, but uh, we don't look bad on it the same way they do, which kind of leads to, I think, what's happening in this movie where on some on some levels it's promoting uh, these white progressive you-go-girl values, but on the other level, there's still a hint of that little um, old world thing, you know, like your wife replaces your mother type of values thing. And to me, that was very not American. This idea that your wife is explicitly supposed to aspire to replace your mother for you. I think that's a very um, non-white, non-Western way of looking at the world. I was kind of surprised to see that value in there and it's but it's also weird in the movie that was just trying to hop onto modern feminism by having the Asian guy hold the purse it's I feel like it, I feel like in some places where it's supposed to be progressive it's choosing to be um old world and in some places where um uh, being old world might work better is choosing to be progressive and it's a little confused yeah. I think I, I that's what I was I was going to go that route. I was going to say that, you know, what you see here, you're right. I think there is this old this sort of like uh um sort of regret I don't want to say regression, but a non-western um sort of resolution to this idea of 
you know, the woman being a, a mother replacement, but then fused with this idea that I think is quite American, which is sort of valorizing um, a man who is stuck in perpetual, uh, ju- uh, sort of perpetually juvenile state, right? And so if you take the sort of like really old world idea of the mother replacement, it's that the woman is going to become a, a sort of subservient to the patriarch of the family, right? But in this case, it's fused with this sort of like modern interpretation of the powerful uh powerful man child yeah powerful woman yeah. who who takes on a man child almost like her sort of like son right yeah and, yeah. yeah yeah exactly because the mother replacement is kind of usually in a country that expects the man to step up and be a man so he's not really she's not really placing his mother as a maternal person but you know as somebody who's supposed to be now his partner, like, you know, it's yeah. still Oedipal, but the mother is not a partner. Whereas in this case, you feel like Ali Wong is still his actual uh, mother to the point that she's supporting him like a mother would, like financially. Yeah. Well, it's See, here's the here's also a thing that I noticed in the movie. Um, I, I absolutely see this as a star-making vehicle for Ali Wong, specifically. Um, what I What I noticed in the movie is that her character... You guys are familiar with the, the hero's journey, right? Um, yeah. Right. She yes. undergoes. Yeah, she, yeah. She's the only character that undergoes the hero's journey, and she also undergoes the heroine's journey as well. Uh, there's no narrative space for for Marcus in that case. There is no growth possible for that character because she is taking on both of those roles. Like if you go through that, if you and I watched this twice just to make sure that I'm not that I wasn't just going crazy. Um, she is actually the hero and the heroine of this movie. She does she takes on both of those roles. She's the one that goes away from home, returns, res- finds a conflict, resolves it, changes as a person, and that is the narrative conclusion for that. And this and the complementary journey, the heroine's journey, is also sublimating. You know, the process of the female character sublimating into an ideal to serve as an object for, uh, for the hero in this in this case. Um, so she's kind of self-sufficient, basically. She is. Like she I almost mean, they, yeah. doesn't really yeah. Uh, in the entire movie, that's a very good point. She, she actually is the only one that uh, does stuff for Marcus. Uh, and the re- converse does not hold true. Yeah, and I feel like Marcus didn't really earn um, anything, you know, as far as, yeah. like, there was a kind of benefit of the doubt. And one of the, even on a very basic level, like, for example, there were childhood friends that grew up for uh, with, each other, with each other since they were, like, children. And they basically fell out because... He said like one of the cruelest things like imaginable to her. It was yeah. really cruel, <laughs> and and we get the sense that okay, uh, he was, he did it because he was hurting over his mother. But it was still remarkably disproportionate, especially considering that she just um, had sex with you and gave up her virginity in a way that she put herself on the line as in you just sat there and it just fell in your lap like which i think is i mean in an ideal world we would like to say that uh women making the first move is the same as men making the first move but honestly it's much braver 
and much more to me a sense of vulnerability for you mm-hmm. know the girl to be the one to initiate losing uh her virginity she's the one who's more likely to get judged as a slut for it she's the one who uh is likely to feel more uh rejected for it so even as kids she's the one who's really kind of stepping up you know mm-hmm. so so he uh, losing your virginity like at that age is something that's much more of a social capital builder for a young man than it is for a young woman. So even in the realm of losing virginity, she's kind of stepped up and done it for him, you know. And the yeah, fact he's that a he was hero. such an asshole, right? He's a hero of that yeah, subgenre yeah, of movies that's all about you know like like the three misfit guys who you know. Who are trying to lose their virginities before they go off to college? Like he, yeah, Marcus exactly. had that and shit in the bag in the first five minutes of this movie. He's a hero of that genre, right? Like it, exactly. it just happened without, without working for it. Yeah, yeah, he just stumbled into it, and and again, it's her doing it uh, for him. Like she, he didn't seduce her. He didn't do anything. She did that, and his uh, thanks is immediately in that after moment of vulnerability and that after moment of whatever not even like being um you know grateful for her for having the uh proverbial um balls to <laughs> check the relationship to the next level he rewards her immediately with the cruelest uh thing that you can say in that moment of vulnerability which is the slammer whole family and her life and her whatever to the point that they fall out of touch for two decades over it and yeah. <laughs> she basically gets over it like nothing. You know, yeah. you know this this is going to be forever for her life, fused with her vir- loss of virginity. Like, you know, I lost my virginity, not even in a romantic way, but I had to practically lose it to a guy who immediately just shattered my whole world and insulted mm. my whole uh, mm. family life. And then what that happens? Cool. They get back together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what happens? They get back together in adulthood. He, the, he He's acting like he's the aggrieved party. He's like, oh, God, you're here. It's like, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, did I miss something? Isn't, aren't you the reason why you guys fell out? Why are you acting like a asshole? Yeah. And he's the one who's kind of being snarky and jokey. And she's the one who looks at the phone and says, you know what? I think I'll go see this guy's show. And I was like, wait a minute, why would you? He, and I kept waiting for some kind of apology where he was going to be like, wow, what I did was fucked up. And he never, ever really did. Like, like, so, like, but Trevor, I, my, my, back. Yeah. I agree with you. My question is, uh, how does it work then? Like, how does this movie have that scene, have him be so cruel and never resolve it and yet still win people over? Um, my th- I mean, I, I'm curious your answer. My feeling is that it's because he is painted as a, you know, a fundamentally uh, a pathetic sort of ba- um, pity case. And I think that, that, you know, I think we're meant to understand that he wasn't being cruel. He was just hurt and he's pathetic and that he just says stupid shit at the wrong time. And that's the kind of guy he is. And that the movie's basically just sort of one big setup to sort of apologize for this aspect of him. It, it kind of excuses this um, by saying he's lovably pathetic and that, you know, his best shot, his best outcome in life is to remain lovably pathetic uh, the way he basically does ritual self-humiliation at the end of the movie. I, I guess what bothers me, but this is like a real-life pet peeve of mine, is like I hate people, right, who it's so accepted that they're assholes, that their friends have been trained to apologize for them. 
to third parties. And like, for example, I was at a bar, right? And I was online for the bar. I mean, I was, I was online for the bathroom. And then um, I was waiting and I was next online. And um, this girl and her friend were like um, talking to me. But the girl was on the girl was online before me. She starts a conversation with me, right? Then her friends show up, and then um, the friends having a conversation too. The girl that was online with me before goes into the bathroom, and then her friend is still like you know talking to me. And then there's a, another girl behind me, and then when her friend comes out, the friend that was still talking to me just ran and jumped into the bathroom, and basically uh, cut me, and then. I was like, holy shit, did that just happen? And then her friend who left the uh, bathroom was like, oh, I'm so sorry. About the girl that just, uh, about her friend that just jumped in and cut the line. So basically, um, this second girl had showed up, used the fact that her friend was already having small talk with me to uh, jump into the conversation, kept talking to me but was just waiting to jump into the bathroom after her friend and skipped <laughs> the, skip the oh, line yeah. and yeah. then but for some reason the thing that made me the maddest yeah. I remember to this day was the first girl just apologizing for her and she was saying it in a way where it was like that's just my friend and she was kind of acting like I'm supposed to understand that's just her friend <laughs> right 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 and it, people do this with reason, their kids all the time like yeah. their kids will yeah, act like yeah. total brats and they'll be like, oh, isn't he cute? And you're like, no, you know, no, he's not. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and like, you know, make your kid apologize or something. And I remember I got like really upset, but they got out and the girl behind me online was really mad at me because she's acting like I let this girl cut and stuff. And she's like, you know, don't let anybody else cut. Like she, She's lecturing me, like, you know. So then <laughs> um, they get out. Uh, she gets out and, she, and the girl who kid left the bathroom didn't even look at me. Or say anything. She just went to join her friend when she came out the bathroom. So um, I went to the bathroom and then I came back out and then I just um, started just like uh, tearing into her. I was just like, you know, that's a real class acting to do. Like, so what do you expect? You're just gonna go sit back and like no one's gonna say anything. But then I remember I told I was more mad at the girl that apologized for her. And I was like, uh, first off. Did you tell her anything? Like, you apologized uh, to me. So did you tell her, like, what you did was fucked up? And, like, no, you didn't because it wasn't a serious apology. You, um, like, she's like that because you apologized for her. Like, you know, and now she expects everyone else to just go around. Yeah, you're the enabler. And now she goes around expecting everyone else to treat her the way you treat her. Like, you know, so I'm supposed to just not saying anything like, like the fact that she can just go and sit down and not apologize to me and not and she's acting shocked right now that i'm coming and telling her off you know that's your enabling that does that like she's <laughs> like that because of you like i'm more upset at you and that marcus reminds me of that this movie was that he was that he was the movie <laughs> doesn't make him apologize for anything because yeah everyone's supposed to understand for him and in a way the characters a father is apologizing for marcus and explaining Marcus, she's kind of um, carrying the load for Marcus and making excuses for him. She's telling her friend, um, oh, he's not so bad. You got to understand. And she's buying his shirts. And 
like it was very annoying to me like there was a lot of enabling of marcus and the audience is expected to kind of and i think this is what you were getting at jess the audience is expected to understand these things about him implicitly and not ask anything from him and i'm like I understand why he did that. I understand he was mad at his mom, but he still has to do the work and apologize and say, I fucked up. And it never really makes him, to me, like yeah. do that in the yeah. way that, you know, he really earns the reward. Yeah, no, Jess, I, I hear that completely. I mean, Jess, I have to haven't s- you, yeah. you've, sorry, can I ask you a question? Just, I, I, I remember that you, I think this had come up like when we watched some of the Wong Fu videos about yappies that you had noticed, I think you had made this observation that like a lot of the characters in Wong Fu, which is like, uh, it's uh, Trevor, that's like another, it's sort of like a YouTube channel and, and also like a short film um, production company that does all Asian American sort of romantic comedy type things. And you said that the characters that Phil Wang plays seem to, require a woman to sort of take him along some whatever internal journey he feels he needs to do. It's always dependent on there being a woman that will understand and sort of almost excuse and and enable him to kind of be this sulky kind of character. Is, is that kind of where you were going with that? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. You know? Like in uh, like in a previous Wong Fu, yeah, the Yappy, uh, the one we you just mentioned. Um, so it's an it's an, it's a guy who's in a nine to five, you know, decent, you know, upper middle class kind of life, you know, nice apartment, hot ex girlfriend, you know, all that jazz, and he's just fucking stuck in his life. Um, it's about that kind of like middle class angst uh, that gets explored a lot. But it's it's like for for me maybe it's because maybe it wasn't targeting me so this is why i got uh i picked up on it uh more readily because i just i was just confused it literally goes from him being upset and confused about his job feeling me- rootless and shiftless uh directly to um a beautiful black woman that he dates and it's supposed to be like understood that this makes total sense why he went from point a to point b uh, that somehow meeting and dating this beautiful black woman is a resolution of some sort to that that angst that he's feeling about the rest of his life. Uh, she's his little act of, you know, nonconformity, right? Yeah, yeah. She she's what he's not supposed to do, and he's going to do it because, yeah. And it's like this is this is very directly, you know, use you're using another person as a medium to resolve your own unspoken issues. And because it's 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 a known dynamic, it seems like there's more of an answer in that act than there actually is. Uh, and I think this is this is this we're coming up on some pretty deep gender issues uh, where the fulfillment of of masculinity is feminine, right? You need a woman to complete the loop on growing into your masculine persona. That I mean, that goes into very, very deep territory. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if we want to, like, we can, we can go. A li- I want to go a little deeper into that uh, and say, you know, I think digging deeper into that uh, lays the foundation for critiquing a lot of gender dysfunction uh, that we see in society now, uh, like Naomi Wolf called it back in uh i think that was the 80s when she wrote the beauty myth she got a lot of flack for it but she it was it's and it's not a very big part of that book 
Uh, but she makes note that she's worried that given current you know, trends in feminism and you know social change, real social change that she's seeing between the genders at that time, um, that there's a male masculine, there's a masculinity crisis coming, and it'll be like nothing, like the, it'll be like nothing we've ever seen before because there is no, there is just no language to support a redefinition of masculinity in the same way. I mean, feminism was hard enough. Evolving social roles for women was hard enough. But in a sense, that was actually easier because feminine identity is subordinate to mas to masculinity and masculinity depends on feminine identity, which kind of means change is encoded into accepted feminine persona. Change in a masculine persona is emasculated. It's no longer masculine under traditional forms of understanding gender, gender norms. So, um, yeah, um, I need that. I need that repeated because I think I, I think it went over my head. The, um, the very, the very last part about the, the differences in change in both of them. Yeah. So, well, okay. So it's probably, um, hopefully, this analogy kind of brings a little bit better, brings brings into focus a little bit sh clearer. Uh, it was hard, but still relatively um, seamless for women to start wearing pants, right? As a, as socially acceptable uh, clothing. The converse is a much much tougher problem: men wearing skirts. Oh, I see. I see. By by to have femininity be in in service to masculinity as kind of a component to complete masculinity. This kind of requires uh, women, you know, carriers of or carriers of femininity in the archetypal sense uh, to be relatively changeable, right? To be kind of fluid, to, to flow in accordance with masculine need for what feminine identity requires, what masculine identity requires of femininity. So there it's, and given the gradient, it's easier for women to step into a nominally superior role, that of men, than it is the reverse. So we, we're we still seeing, you know, a lot of... So a woman becomes, you know, a doctor or, uh, you know, an engineer or CEO of, of Halliburton or something. And we we applaud, right? There's, there's no real language to support, say, a mass movement of men into, say, nursing. Right. There's we just don't have the language for that. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's very true. I think sometimes even if something is traditionally uh, feminine associated, once it is uh, given a type of value, all they do is just erase the feminine aspect of it. And to give an example, like being a top chef, like for some reason, cooking is woman's work. But when a man becomes a top chef, no one says, oh, he's embracing his feminine side. They just kind of treat professional cooking as something separate and not related to uh, the cooking your mother does. It's just a very interesting thing I noticed that even when men uh, excel at, when someone admits that something that's traditionally a woman's domain has value to the point that you're willing to make people professionally excel at it or whatever, they sort of end up degendering it. Like, like somehow professional uh cooking is very weirdly degendered but a female ceo is still considered um masculine you know i i think that this is relevant to this movie because 
you know, it what what it does is it, it, it takes that basic problem, which is that Marcus doesn't really have anything that he can mature into, whereas she does. Um, he, you know, his father is a blue collar worker. He does heat, you know, HVAC and stuff. And it's kind of recognized, at least within this world that they've constructed, that the basic reality is you can't do that and support a family in, you know, in a big city in America anymore, right? You can't just follow in your dad's footsteps like you did. And I feel like the out that they give is to sort of keep Marcus sort of embalmed in this perpetually juvenile state, even though in real life, I think he's eight years older than, uh, than um, Ali Wong. He's 45 years old. But he is, you know, at the end of the movie, he's still singing this, you know, the silly little songs that he did uh, probably when he was young. And it, it kind of, you know, the out, the way it resolves this sort of crisis that you're talking about that Naomi Wolf raises seems to be, well, then we just won't let them ever become real men. We'll just keep them as children forever, you know. And, and that, to me, just seems to be a really coddling... You know, it looks if you have someone as charming and as as Randall Park can play that sort of lovable guy, you know, he's got a Steve Carell, 40 year old virgin kind of ness to him. Uh, it works on the screen. But in real life, you know, that kind of out does not play out well. You know, I think that it does not translate well into, you know, a real life resolution of that crisis. Yeah, especially if you're not a white man. Like, I feel like it's even harder for, like, a white person to get a good real-life resolution from that anymore. And we're seeing it in all the, the MAGA stuff and all this uh, white genocide stuff and this feeling that white men are being, like, marginalized. And um, I think the idea that um, a non-white guy can indulge that type of resolution is even a little bit more far-fetched, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I yeah, like, that, that, that's, pr- that rings true to me. Like if a white guy were to do that, um, there's still a sort of heroism in, in him rejecting, like, there's a known role for him, a known archetype, a known set of rules. Uh, and it's implicitly saying he is rejecting that, that there's agency, uh, and ownership in his rejection of, you know, the, the archetype of the traditional, man uh when you're not white uh that question of agency can no longer be assumed so it doesn't look like an empowered move it looks like well that's just the lane you were already were in what what am i looking at yeah what's the big difference here yeah exactly because he's not doing it from a place of strength he's doing it from like you said it was already there you know yeah it's almost like a sense of giving up. Like it's almost like rationalization. You were already there. You just found a good um, n- narrative to give it. Yeah. That now well, makes it, it sound do, like do empowering. You, do you two yeah. think that this that this movie is actually sort of encouraging a kind of codependent type relationship? I mean, I, I feel like it's it's not really sort of encouraging either character and the people who sort of relate to them um, in the audience to self-actualize in any way or to really resolve the the fundamental problems that the characters are faced with but they're but basically to resolve it through codependency but no, I, I think feel it, like she's kind no, of I don't think so. matured yeah i feel she's kind of matured i feel like yeah. he's she took kind his of the shit. problem but what's that she took his shit i couldn't hear you just oh um 
uh, she, I think uh, Sasha, Ali Wong's character, is the one who wins in the yeah. end here. Uh, she she took his shit, honestly. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, I, I, I it's really funny. I would like, agree with that. Yeah, like the end of the movie, you know, it's it's really kind of weird. Um, okay, so she names her newest restaurant after her boyfriend's mom, cooks all of her food, and is going to be making money off of it. So to extend, you know, an argu- like cultural appropriation, you know, that you're profiting off of some some uh, something, and the originators, the original owners of that aren't 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 uh, getting a cut of that. Yeah, in light of what she's done with her latest restaurant, she damn well better be screwing him. I, I okay, but le, okay, let me. Maybe I should rephrase. Maybe maybe what I'm saying is then is the audience encouraged to enter into some sort of codependent relationship with these archetypes in the sense that um, is Ali Wong herself as um, you know as sort of like this emergent uh, 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 female Asian female icon, especially towards four Asian men who have never seen an Asian woman celebrity go and stand for them at t- to this level in, in her work. Um, is that a kind of codependence where it's like, you know, the audience, uh, the Asian men, the, the, the Marcuses who are watching this are sort of depending on her to coddle them into a, a kind of like, you know, media respectability. And at the same time, you know, she kind of needs them to sort of as, as her sort of base of support. And I, and I feel like there's just a there's just a certain amount of avoidance of doing like the hard work and I and and you know I think we we had talked about like maybe this is a deeper topic and I think um, I'll put a link to Trevor I think at some point you're gonna you're going to make that the episode that we did on burning um, on champagne trucks available and I'll put a link to that and I thought we'd, yeah, we yeah I'm like gonna two- unlock it probably tomorrow yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, we went for two hours into that film, and I thought that film, which I highly recommend to people, uh, basically takes a very similar character as Marcus and really kind of explores much deeper the ways in which, like, he needs to uh, really resolve those tendencies of dependence in himself. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but... um, it, 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 it's, it's a yeah, harder yeah. watch. There's a certain amount of work that he actually needs to do on his own. Even if she's helping to guide him, he kind of has to uh, do it on his own to kind of truly be worthy of her. And he's not really doing it. And there's a sense in which I feel like it might have been better for him to stay broken up a little bit. And And what's interesting is I think they were kind of trying to do that where... I'm going to do my own thing and then I'm going to come back and I will now have earned the right to uh, be with you. And mind you, for some reason, I couldn't let this go. I still kept thinking that the apology was going to happen at some point, even though now it's really weirdly belated. But, you know, I was thinking maybe he was going to ask for a thing where uh, he realizes his behavior now is exactly like his behavior um, when they first fell out of touch. And he realized, wow, I haven't changed a bit. Like, what an asshole thing to say, and I'm still that asshole or something, you know? But his music career is doing great. He's stepping up. And then you find out that his so-called... And this is where I think um, we were expected to think he was having a a hero's journey. Because you remember how how you said that uh, he had no hero's journey? Even though his hero's journey involves staying in the same place and not going anywhere. But even that 
uh, particular um, stepping up ends up having been subsidized by her. It's a, just a weird... How, how uh, she was buying all of his swag on online. Yeah, she was yeah. buying all of his swag. And it, and it wasn't even like she was helping... Um, the other thing I thought it might be when I found out that she was buying all his swag, I thought maybe it was going to be like one of those placebo elixir plot devices where uh, the person <laughs> tells the kid, hey, here's a special magic amulet and it's going to help you win the fight. If you wear it, you're going to, uh, you know, kick ass. And the kid kicks ass and then the kid is like on the last level. He's like, the amulet broke. And then the, the master tells him, that was just glass, you know. It was you all along, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. I thought yeah. I, I was thinking the swag was gonna be like that, where maybe she got it off the ground, and because of the first couple of purchases that she got, it gave him the confidence to um, keep doing more. And now it was just him selling, and you know she didn't, you know he just needed that push to believe in himself, the same way the master gave him like the fake am amulet in the karate movies and it wasn't that it just seemed to be like she just literally bought every single piece of swag yes. from the beginning to the end so even his so-called journey was just really just an illusion it was just a it was just a delusion that kind of adds to the whole mothering aspect like the literal mothering mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, the analogy that came to mind was uh uh like parents buying up their their daughter's girl scout cookies you know um, yeah, like, that's a great yeah, one. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very maternalistic move. I mean, when okay, when that scene yeah. opened, you know, cause it had the dim lighting, the music was kind of tense. You know, I was like, okay, there's gonna be some like serial killer twist or something. It's about to it, and then the box opened up and I was creeped out because it's it's the uh, the hell the the band Swag, the Hello Peril tennis balls. Like, I don't know if if I put myself in Marcus's shoes, I'd be so pissed. Right, like here I am thinking yes. my band is is taking off. I'm I'm you know I'm crushing it. Uh, you know this things are going well, and you know to the extent that you know my girlfriend is involved, it's because she gave me that push, and you know the universe is validating that kind of courage. And like no, this isn't it, that at. I would act. I would be furious if I saw that. I would not be thinking, yeah, "Wow, I need to, I need to lock that down." Well, okay, well, she's rich, so okay, yeah. So I guess it makes sense because she's rich. So why wouldn't you want to lock that down? But that kind of just makes him but, like a gold digging woman in the archetypal, like, exactly. Like, you know, and, and maybe, and maybe in a weird way, that's progress because there's a lot of like uh, gold digging women in. Uh, modern rom-coms maybe maybe in a weird way uh the fact that the guy can be fucked up in the uh kind of kind of gendered female way is that a weird type of progress i don't i don't know it's, it's weird i don't it's it's kind of thinking of this as a zero-sum game because we are still locked in very entrenched uh gender roles um i don't i, I honestly don't know if that's progress or not i know that um, as a woman, as an Asian woman, I know I'm expected to identify with uh, Sasha, but I saw that movie twice, and I gotta say, like, I I can't do what she did. That ponytail was what? high and shiny. Her lipstick was never off. She flashed. She went to. She's run. Okay, so she's running a food empire, uh, opening new restaurants and just killing it out there. She makes time to go to his shows. Flashes him, you know. 
sleeps with him, validates all that, and has time to make his mom's stew, buy up all his merchandise. Like I can't, I don't know, I can't do that. Uh, you know what? Uh, uh, you know what, Teen? I just want to say, uh, this conversation has kind of brought me back around to maybe it does encourage codependence. Uh, including mm-hmm. from her, because uh, just everything we described is kind of weird. Her babying of him uh, makes me think in a weird way. She was getting over, you know, but she was also kind of um, uh, being in a weird way um, codependent, but in a way that maybe a mother would be with her son, you know, where it's like... Um, mm-hmm. If that if that makes sense, not really like the way someone is codependent with someone who's on an equal level superior, but almost like uh, it, it almost felt like emotional incest. That psychological term where the where the mother is uh, has bad boundaries with her son or something like that. That's what it kind of felt like. Mm. It felt more like emotional incest than the relationship between uh, equals. Yeah, and and, and I, I want to ask just this question, which is like, why does this movie appeal to Asian women so much? Uh, because, you know, just, just the way we've discussed Marcus as a character, I mean, I don't really get what she's getting out of it. I don't know what the appeal of him as a love interest is. It seems to me the things that I've seen really have to do with not so much the on-screen chemistry of Randall Park's character Marcus, but more the fa- the fantasy of female empowerment that Ali Wong provides. And it almost seems like Marcus is there as, I don't know, a kind of demonstration of her empowerment. Trophy. Um, can I yeah, add, she's a trophy can, can of I add her a flip super side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I just want to add a flip side to the question before you answer it, Jess, because I think it's uh, an interesting question to ask together. Do you think it would have been as much of a fantasy for uh, Asian women? And this might be an uncomfortable question uh, to ask, but I can't help but think it. Do you think it would have been as much of a fantasy for Asian women if it was a white guy uh, being this um, codependent, you know? Um like, 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 do you think first, why do Asian women like it? And is it something that they uniquely like um, from an Asian guy? I think you have to see Marcus uh, as an yeah. archetypal heroine. And I think this answers both of those questions, honestly. You have to see him as um, a heroine. Um, as in a return to an abstracted ideal, Right. Uh, so the hero's journey is to go away from home, uh, kill off you know anything, kill off the familiar, encounter the unknown, and conquer that. And that is that is what permits narrative fulfillment of that character arc. Uh, in that light, Marcus represents that that ideal. In this case, it's home. It's an idea of it's a racialized idea of security, of identity, of, of, of uh, uh, personal uh, fulfillment um, as a matter of authentic identity that I think he represents. And that's, that's the value that Marcus trades on um, to appeal to Sasha. Materially, there's nothing he offers. If I understand what you're saying correctly, that, that you're saying that him being Asian actually does matter a lot here because it does matter. what yeah, she's because protecting is the is the sort of familiar, the the home, yes. the idea of home, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the idea of a psychological uh, see, see. and personal home. Uh, so in that sense, a white man stepping into that—that's just a fucking loser ass cracker. 
Right. I like, yeah. 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 Represents nothing yeah, of value I, uh, in any sense. <laughs> that that makes yeah, sense. To I, me. I, yeah. Yeah, it makes it makes sense to me too. Uh, one thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about that is like there's this thing that I see a lot of um, uh, the online the online black crowd. I don't know if this is something that like uh, a lot of black people in general are into, but the type of extremely online black people you find on Twitter and Tumblr are into this thing called like carefree black boy, and it's all these like uh, black guys who wear flowers in their head and they're in their hair and they're channeling, they're channeling um, their feminine side and they're not um, buying into toxic masculinity so they call it carefree black boy and all these black guys are um, doing feminine stuff and uh, a lot of these uh, black feminist types will be all like oh my god this is great carefree black boy uh, whatever but these same women when they're talking about white guys it's all about Chris Ryan, rugged. Look at the beard. Oh, who's your favorite Chris? Is it Hemsworth or is it Ryan <laughs> or is it this one? Right. And and there's no type of thing where they're uh, enjoying these feminine white guys. Like so, it's like it's not when a white guy is being masculine. There's almost this idea that he can he's responsible enough to handle masculinity. He's something that's mm-hmm. uh, he's gonna be res- handle it responsibly, but in the hands of a black guy, masculinity is just uh, pimps and hoes and and smacking women and being toxic to yeah. the point that he's almost better off just being kept as uh, a eunuch or emasculated. And or a child, yeah. I felt there was a ch- or, or a child, and I was wondering if uh, that was to a sense happening here too, where it's like. Um, um, w- with the trope of the so-called Asian patriarchy, I know I know a lot of people like saying that in these um, academic uh, Asian circles that it's always preferable for Mark to be a man-child because if you le- le- like Keanu Reeves is, is white enough, even though he's part Asian, where you know uh, he can uh, maybe comfortably be masculine, but even he is still you know whatever. But I feel like if Marcus was allowed to be masculine in a traditional way, the sense I got is he would abuse it way mm. worse than uh, even Keanu Reeves. He would be even a douchier than Keanu Reeves. If yeah, I mean, that's, a, had, that's uh, a Daniel Day Kim character, uh, the fia- ex-fiancé. Uh, super, you know, super yes. rich, also successful, uh, kind of does that fuckboy thing where he wants to open up the relationship because he needs to find himself and, you know, uh, like ends up hooking up with uh, Padma Lakshmi, uh, right, <laughs> in India. And there's that whole arc. So it's it's masculinity as an asset versus masculinity as a, li- as a liability. Um, we don't have socially accepted, you know, uh, we don't have a collective understanding of where that line is or what, uh, like, is it possible to have a non-threatening masculinity, right? A secure, and, deeply and, entrenched, and, yeah. And to the extent that it exists, uh, is it more accepted in uh, a white person than in a non-white person, the idea of non-toxic uh, masculinity? At this point, yeah, I think so. And it's... it. it it needs further examination and development because it's the reason it's accepted for 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 white men is still predicated on power that it's still seen as a rejection of some innate power 
um, but they're consciously and with, you know, great rigor and intellectual effort, they're overcoming or, or surpassing, right? So it's, it, so for them, it's seen as a matter of, that's a, as a display of their own strength, as you, as you said earlier. Um, whereas for everybody else, it's, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's just a question of like, okay, so how how tight of a grip do you actually have on this leash? We're not so sure. We're not so sure how to judge whether you are, you know, whether you're surpassing this or or not. Or did you even have it? Right? We're still valuing this based on power. Um, access to power and the, you know proximity to power and and a particular individual uh individual's ability to navigate it and keep control over it yeah i think that makes sense i think of uh, uncle ben you know with the whole like great with great power comes great responsibility i think with the white with the white male uh there is there is the sense of this um hard-earned development of wisdom and responsibility and the, and the restrained and and um the restrained and wise use of the power. Uh, whereas with um, an Asian man or a black man or, or any non-white man. <laughs> you become man, a villain when he gets the power. You become a villain <laughs> and yeah, yeah, you're, you're not, you, yeah, you're, you haven't you're, done the hard work and you're not familiar with this power so you don't know how to use it properly, you know? Um, yeah, or it's mm-hmm. interpreted as a put on, right? Like this is a, this is a play uh, for some more sinister game. Yeah, to- totally. Yeah, though just there's another aspect to that which I think is a is a debate that I see a lot. I don't know, Trevor, if this goes on in in, in black discourse, but like in a lot of Asian discourse, there is like this weird uh, debate about who transmits the the culture, the man or the woman. Uh, just you you and I have talked about this before, right? Like you know who 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 really sort of. Um, this is especially in discussion uh, uh, comparing uh, white male Asian female couples versus Asian male white female couples. Which of those cu- couplings, those interracial pairings, is would actually code as Asian? Which one would have more Asian children, for example? Um, and the, the the belief that you know a WMAF couple would have more white children in terms of culture is the suggestion that culture is really sort of uh, transmitted through the man, and I think in this movie it kind of subverts that. Uh, it avoids the interracial question, but it does kind of say that in a in a in a same race pairing that the culture is really transmitted through the woman, you know. And and I I, I feel like that that might be one of the reasons why it's so appealing to Asian women was it it sort of has a definitive. Wait, but but it's kind of hard to say because. On one hand, uh, he, she does take on his mother's recipe, so in a way, it does seem kind of patrilineal that she uh, is kind of taking on his family's legacy, not her own yeah. mother's. So it's, it's a little tough to say. Cause I kind of see what you mean. In a way, it's it's she's passing on the culture, but she's still putting her money and her efforts into keeping his mother's name alive. And yeah. And, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna uh, talk about exactly that. Like that was the, that was the thing that led me to to understand that she's also in her own way on a heroine's journey in addition to a hero's journey. Yes, because in the movie she her name is Sasha Tran, distinctively Vietnamese, 
Um, she has a strained relationship with her own family that doesn't resolve at all uh, over the course of the movie. Uh, at all. There's no progress on that front at all. Uh, but she returns home through her boyfriend, through Marcus. So here she is, a Vietnamese woman, and the movie makes point reference to her capitalizing on Vietnamese heritage uh, to make to make money. She becomes very successful off of bougie, et, quote, elevated Vietnamese fusion food. And she undergoes the journey to come home, basically, reconnect with her roots. But they're not her roots. They're Marcus's roots. So it's a very strange statement of what racialized identity actually means in this particular case. She sublimates herself into uh, a reincarnation of his Korean mom. Like, she doesn't have an authentic <laughs> connection. True. She doesn't have exactly. a biological connection. I won't say authentic. That's a loaded term and inappropriate in this context. She makes his mom's food. She's ca she's making Korean food as a Vietnamese person. Her own... like. To, co to complete her own hero's journey would have required her confronting her Vietnamese family and resolving, you know, the very real abandonment issues, um, you know, the real, like, the immigrant trauma that she experienced as a child, being a latchkey kid and all of that. That goes completely left unsaid, but we are uh, supposed to understand that she has reconnected and, quote, come home through Marcus, through, like, you know, appropriating Marcus's, you know, ethnic ethnic identity and his and his family history. Yeah, I but I, I, I interpreted that to mean that, you know, when, when Marcus's mother basically when when she died, that he and his father were essentially left sort of rootless and that the only proper you know, tr um, sort of carrying on of that ethnic tor of the eth of, of the torch and of the I guess ethnicity here is is a stand in for family uh, was that Marcus could not could not inherit that? It had to kind of go yeah. to a female, um, uh, a, a female heir. Yeah, a it's a charming movie because Do you know what it I mean? does it does require both. It's saying you know to be completely whole, you need you need a fully three dimensional um, social experience in whatever it is that you define as your home, your psychological home. Right, Marcus was not complete without uh with, without Sasha and and vice versa. Um it's just very strange the way that it played out. Yeah, look, like that's his mom, right? That's his family. 16 years after she dies, after his mom dies, his girlfriend, you know, makes him a pot of this kimchi stew and his face lights up. Like, did you and your dad not cook this shit for 16 years? Right. 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 Yeah. Like his face looks up like I oh my god, I thought this was lost forever. Like how <laughs> did you guys just not cook? Well, I forgot that part. It did say it was lost forever, right? Yeah. And yeah, that, that was kinda weird that they just <laughs> act like they couldn't do it themselves. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Um something about uh Sasha's thing with her parents, I thought that was another example of ways in which uh the values of this thing are very new school, but they're also very old school like i feel like a white movie either the parents would have done some serious like retribution and she would have had some therapy and there would have been some big knockdown drag out and like some type of uh emotional art or she would have just cut them off like that would have been a white narrative with the parents like you know she realizes she doesn't need the parents and now she's gonna flip them the bird but the idea that like, your parents just come back and they say hey we did the best we could and you just 
already obedient, uh, understanding um, child of immigrants that just kind of understands it and just lets it go. Because at least you're trying now. I feel like it's a very um, old world attitude that you wouldn't find in a white movie. And I find that kind of uh, interesting to to see. But it also makes it, it adds to the confusion of what are the values of um, this thing. I thought she was going to be being that she was kind of a modern feminist. I thought she was going to kind of tell them it's too late now. I feel like that's what that arc would have been in a white movie. I'm sorry, the um, microphone wasn't near me, so I hope that recorded well. Yeah, it's a very symbolically loaded movie. Very, it, it's a lot of symbolism. So, um, if we want to talk about you know high context culture versus low context culture, uh, it's very high context crammed into a very um low context medium so yeah. the symbols take on I, I outsized value i think that's the right take yeah it takes these symbols take on um like an outsized value that uh that it's it's not without its problems in how how you interpret them in a low context framework such as like rigorous like critical gender theory or race theory or something um, it's just not meant to be interpreted in that in that rigorous a light because if you do suddenly like I this movie is full of problems but if you accept these things as like exchanges as symbols for you know ethnic you know rehabilitation a reconnection you know a psychological fulfillment uh, you know and I mean we're complicated beings, right? So it's not so easy to parse, you know, psychosexual versus, you know, all all of that, right? We're just a jumble of issues, and these are symbolically traded. The movie just traded symbols back and forth to make us know that uh, all of these various needs were being met in some rough way. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know what? I know we've gone on for a while, but. I think the one thing you should mention, Teen, I thought it was such a good point, is you should at least mention, even at the end, or maybe it's for a whole different episode, but the whole secret life of pets analogy, because I really liked that when we were oh, talking. Yeah. I thought that was very, um, that was a very good um, analogy. But, you know, basically talking about the reason why this stuff can kind of work in burning, but it has a whole different connotation in something like like this. And we were talking about how it's different because in burning, it's an all Asian um, atmosphere. But even in something like a Bollywood movie, in a Bollywood movie, uh, a rom-com works differently because they're in a country or society that they own. They're not living as a community within a um, white society. So there's no bigger implications uh, everything is is kind of theirs they are like the full context it is like an automatic balance like um if the man if the man holds a purse in a hong kong romantic comedy uh he's doing it in hong kong it's uh different than doing it in america where his manhood uh racially is kind of constantly in question or or litigated you, you see what i mean like um yeah yeah i i think the the way um i think the way i think regarding secret life of pets it was like you know if you if, take the bollywood movie as an example it's like the 
the romance that you see on screen is like you're taking all of sort of like you know Indian society or 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 or, or whatever Bollywood has created as Indian society, its construct of it, and you're kind of just zooming in on this one story that takes place within it, but it's meant to tell you more about the whole, right? So you're zooming in to see this one really dramatic story which kind of demonstrates how the rest of it probably works to some extent. But here, I think uh, you're zooming in on characters that live, like you said, within a society where they're, they're minorities, they're, they're marginalized, they're not, they don't tell you about the larger whole. They could in a way. I mean, I think if you did a movie about Asian Americans that really examined the way we, we lived within, um, you know, a more white-dominated but also pluralistic society, uh, that that could tell you about the rest of the world. But in this case, what they're doing is they're sort of taking all of the non-Asian elements of the society and they're kind of muting it. They're not destroying it. It's not like Zootopia where it's literally a fantasy uh, city that's run by animals. In Secret Life of Pets, it's still a, a, a recognizable New York City that is run by human beings. But the movie just, you know, sort of as a farce, as a farcical uh, 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 tool, I guess, just kind of mutes all of the humans the same way the sort of teachers are muted in Charlie Brown and they just become trombones. And so you can just sort of like hyper-focus on this sort of hidden world of the pets. And I, I kept getting that feeling from this movie. It was like, where is the rest of San Francisco? Where Where is everyone else? Uh, that that would be part of the city. Like, where's the tech bro? Like, where you know, where is everyone? And they're kind of in the background, but they're just completely muted and they're made almost uh, inanimate. So we can yeah, sort of hyper focus. Yeah, yeah. So they almost like exist in a vacuum, and they're just trying to pretend like you know all the gender dynamics are the same, and you can just focus on the internal world. The same with Secret Life of Pets kind of makes it makes the pets kind of fool themselves into thinking they're a self-sufficient society and that yeah. the humans are window dressing when they're really not. They're the ones who really run the world. And and yeah, this movie kind of had that feeling. Um, this movie kind of had that feeling for me too. Like it just did a bad job at that. It didn't do a good job at, um, you know, contextualizing their romance into the larger uh, framework of what it's like to be um, Asian in America. And it would have been okay if, they were being presented in the all Asian world, you know, like as in a Hong Kong romance or a Korean movie uh, romance, like a Japanese movie or a Bollywood movie. But when you do it in um, an American movie, it just creates this weird disconnect. But I think a lot of the people who are into like the whole representations matter stuff, they kind of want that world to be true anyway, so they don't mind it or something. So it's like it's they're willing to buy into the fiction. A lot of the people who love this movie like there's this movie it's a it's a romantic kind of drama but it's called nothing but a man it's from the 60s and it's interesting because it's a black man and a black woman they're courting it's not really a comedy it's more like uh it's, it's a drama but what's interesting is it's basically uh a mostly black cast but their their romance is constantly contextualized by white supremacy so it's like uh, he's trying to be a man and be a provider and be a husband, but you get this constant sense of um, how it's grinding on him to try to do what a white man does for his family, 
uh, for his wife like, in, a, in a white world, you know, and it's an example of the total opposite of the secret life of pets effect. Like he's he's unable to ever pretend that he's not in a living in the society he's living with. Whereas this one, it's almost the opposite. Ninety percent of the time, you kind of forget they're in the context of a broader society that they don't run. Yeah, and I think that yeah. it's it's almost like um, it has a sort of. Uh, I I I I joke that like. Crazy Rich Asians was sort of like a hit of cocaine for Asian Americans that are like, you know, they just wanted that hit, that rush. And Always Be My Maybe is a bit like Selexa. It's sort of like a, it's sort of like this like low-grade antidepressant that sort of, it doesn't, Crazy Rich Asians basically upends your, your, your conception of reality uh, as an Asian person watching it. Um, and, and maybe even as a non-Asian person and your, your conceptions of Asian people. It transports you into this sort of like mystical realm that you've never been to before. It's like a hard drug, whereas with with always be my maybe, it's like a it's like a it's a sort of functional antidepressant type drug where it sort of amplifies the parts that you know you want, and it sort of like mutes or or attenuates the parts that you don't want, and. I, I gather that the reason, Jess, and I really do agree with your take that ultimately this is this was a movie created by writers and create and, and producers and actors who I think are really smart. I think they really mm-hmm. there's a lot of really interesting elements to this movie that are pretty deep, but are as you said are constrained by the rom com genre, and I think that it's not their fault that they chose a rom com. I think it's what the audience wants. You know, they're just demand because like for some reason. You know, ever since like you know uh, Jet Li didn't get to kiss a Lee or something, it's just been this thing about how we just never see for the Asian guys anyway. We never see the Asian guy get the girl, and then you know with with Asian women, I think you can't. Maybe there was a lack of a sense of this available heroine um, uh, narrative because there was never you know a properly rendered Asian American family that was intact on screen to to protect. And so I feel like the rom-com genre just brings it all together and it had to be a rom-com. And that is why the movie, I think, ultimately, I think, becomes a bit of a farce. I I don't think of it, you know, I think the characters are living in a farcical world, kind of like the pets in Secret Life of Pets are. You know, they think they're undertaking these, they think that the city's for them. They think that they're undertaking a certain sort of journey. But in reality... We all know what they really are, right? They're just dumb dogs living in living in the man's world, and so I, you know, that's an extreme characterization. But I think there is there are elements to this where it's essentially farcical, and so you can't take it yeah, seriously. There is a message here about codependence. It means that if you mute, you know, the structural issues, um, it just means that if you find a Sasha, right, everything will be okay. So by dialing down the, so I have no problem with dialing down the uh, the sociological, uh, in a, in a work like that. It just means that it amplifies the significance of what a what a, in this case a romantic sexual partner can do for you as a person, as a both an individual and as a member of a wider society. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, honestly, it's a charming movie because honestly, uh, I mean. I want a Sasha. I don't know what that says about me as an Asian American woman watching this, but it's like, damn, I want, I want a Sasha. I'd love I to just, I, you know. 
And, and, and you know, I kind of feel you on that because when I was watching it too, like there was a sense that um, I feel like when you watch a rom-com movie as a guy, you kind of want to imagine yourself as the guy getting that girl. Whereas me, I'm like, I would rather a be to Sasha just just as as a man <laughs> like, like like I, I identified yeah. more to Sasha and I was also uh as a partner like I, I would rather see my I would see myself more as the guy who uh would compete with Marcus for Sasha than want to see myself as the Marcus getting a Sasha you, you know what I'm saying like yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I wasn't able to really comfortably identify with uh Marcus or root for him um uh, to get it so i think it ties into your whole thing about her as both the hero and the heroine because i was able to kind of see her more as a hero but i could also see her as someone i'd want to be my heroine i mean she's shown doing supportive girl things right she goes to he doesn't come to her restaurant she goes to see his band right she flashes him you know she does that groupie thing you know and it's very charming and you know Honestly, at, at heart, who doesn't want to be loved for the flawed? Who doesn't who doesn't want to be loved for not doing anything, right? You want to and, and maybe you want to have in... a security of love that isn't predicated on like materialism in some way, right? That's just the base psychological. Yeah. Just the reality is, we all have to go out there and fight. We all have to prove ourselves in multiple ways to just everyone. But maybe that also ties into Teen's question about what would Asian women get out of this. And maybe what you get out of it is you get that um, second wave feminist promise of uh, you can have it all. You can be the man and the woman. You can be the feminist, lean-in, you-go-girl type of um, female gladiator in a man's world. But you can also switch and get the benefits of being a girly girl or being um the doting wife because i think uh there's an aspect of feminism you say that t and as a woman i've just i just got exhausted <laughs> at you saying that <laughs> oh, oh ex- exhausted uh, how about the i like about oh, God, I, yeah i gotta make sure my hair is shiny and i gotta go like crush it at a meeting tomorrow and like oh god so many things i gotta do now yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, totally. Like, but it's that's because Jess uh, is actually it, it, partially living that. See, that's uh, it's not so much just a fantasy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But 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 exa- exactly the reality of it is uh, exhausting. But this thing makes it look kind of effortless. Exactly. And I think yeah. that might that might be the yeah. that might be the fantasy because because uh, the extent to which uh, it is possible requires a superhuman amount of effort and she does really make it look because uh, like you said yeah. she's a supporter supporting supportive doting girlfriend who can flash and you know be the girly girl but she can also be the girl boss mm-hmm. or, or the or the lean in and and maybe um, what you said just made it click that maybe that's what. Um, the, the fact that you said there's a hero and a hero, heroine's journey for her, maybe that's what some Asian women, American women, or non-Asian women even, get out of this story. That fantasy. Which then leads to, what, what, what do guys get out of it? Yeah, exactly. The question is, what do guys get out of it? And I think that, you know, uh, you know to some extent, you could view it as 
sort of um, Asians cosplaying in a white romantic comedy and basically being super modern. And I think there is an aspect where I think an Asian guy watches this and says, hey, you know, Marcus is relatable and he does a lot of things that I would want to do. Uh, he's petulant like I'm petulant. He's, you know, grumpy like I'm grumpy or whatever. And he comes out of this looking good. You know, he doesn't come out of this looking like a toxic, you know, fucked up sort of uh, incelish loser. He comes out looking good. And so I think yeah. there's an aspect. Of and maybe there's an aspect, maybe there's an aspect, too, of which, like, they're so used to having it worse in movies that even this is yes. uh, low standards. You know? Yeah, I think there's a there's an aspect of low standards here, but which is covered up, I think, by the the, the secret, the, the, that sort of attenuating aspect the, the sort of like um, backgrounding uh, uh, um, aspect the of this secret movie. Life of Petsa, secret, yeah, life secret Life of, Petsing, life of Petsing, effect. Yeah, where, where it, 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 it looks like, you know, what if you really were to take the full racial context, a social context of Marcus, then there is a sort of, there's a, there's a pathos, there's a patheticness there. But because you attenuate it, it becomes farcical and he becomes sort of like a white guy. And therefore he just becomes... You know, you could you could potentially see him as being that white guy that's willing to hang his man, his his manhood up for the sake of love, you know, and so there's a plausible deniability to it. I think, and so it kind of navigates that really well. Yeah, because by acting that out, it almost implies that he has a manhood to hang up, which, uh, you know, becomes appealing in and of itself. That's right. I think that last scene, you know. And, and, and I think it's very specific to actors. It, it has to be someone like Randall Park who, who has a lot of credibility built up. You, you kind of know, like if he was a nobody actor, I think it would be tougher. But like you know, he's got his own show on 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 ABC. He's he's a well respected actor. You see his face all over the Hollywood press these days. Uh, he does have a certain amount of man cred uh, as an actor, and so you know he's play acting this out. This sort of uh, you know, oh, I'm just like a schlubby Asian guy loser, you know, heading towards middle age and I need to settle down. But we all know it's Randall Park. He's one of the most successful Asian American actors out there. Right. And so I think there's That's that true. there's that Hollywood fantasy aspect to it that comes into play. Can't ignore who's actually playing him. That little class play where Julia Roberts gets uh, Oscars. For playing working class girls. I think that's a good place to uh, end it because we're almost at two hours. Uh, T, you, you got any uh, last thoughts for us or? Um, no, no. I, I think we've we've laid it all out. Yeah, I think we did too. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this is the only space where you could get away with like uh, benching on the movie because I feel like there was a whole uh, let people enjoy things vibe going on with this movie where you weren't supposed to critique it, especially because it was a rom com. So I think uh, a lot of people will probably enjoy. Uh, this because there's probably a million places you can go to get a, a love fest for the movie, but this will be the only one where anyone who didn't like it can go and hear the opposite. So th- th- that'll work for you guys. That's our episode for this week. Make sure to hit subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes if you haven't already. That's the biggest thing you can do for us if you enjoy the pod. And please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash planamag. Contributions go into a fund to pay for Asian American writing, which we'll publish on our website at planamag.com. See you next week.